I'm going to be reading scripture today from the Gospel of John, chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. Six days before Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, home of Lazarus, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Lazarus and his sisters hosted a dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was, one, was among those who joined him at the table. Then Mary took an extraordinary amount, almost three-quarters of a pound, of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She anointed Jesus' feet with it and then wiped his feet dry with her hair. The house was filled with the aroma of the perfume. Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, the one who was about to betray him, complained, this perfume was worth a year's wages. Why wasn't it sold and the money given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He carried the money bag, and he would take what was in it. Then Jesus said, leave her alone. This perfume was to be used in preparation for my burial, and this is how she has used it. You will always have the poor among you, but you won't always have me. This is the word of the Lord. Will you please pray with me? Good and gracious God, we give thanks for your spirit in the world and in our lives. And we pray that through that spirit, you will, we will hear your word for us today. Amen. So I was probably like 14-ish when I first discovered the, like, the R-rated verses in the Bible. You know, the ones I'm talking about that include, like, graphic violence and sex. So, of course, the first thing I did upon discovering these dirty verses was read them aloud to my friends at youth group. Because, you know, I knew I shouldn't do it, but, but was my youth pastor really going to get me in trouble for reading the Bible at church? Yeah, I, I thought it was a brilliant plan. But... But now that I have like a lot deeper understanding of the Bible, I, I kind of regret my immaturity. Because if, if I knew then what I knew now, I would have been so much better at misusing the Bible for personal gain. Yeah, right? Instead of just telling dirty jokes, I, I could have declared my intent to model my life after Bethany of Mary. Yeah, teenagers, listen up. It's Mary who you want to emulate. We, we have, uh, she appears three different times in the Gospels. The first time, uh, Jesus comes to her house, and rather than preparing the meal, Mary sits at Jesus' feet. And Mary's sister Martha complains that Mary isn't doing her part. But Jesus defends Mary, saying it's better to not do chores. I mean, this is what I needed when my mother told me to clean my room. And that's just the first one. The next time uh, we encounter Mary, her brother, brother Lazarus has died. And, and you know what Mary does? She blames Jesus for not saving him. She makes Jesus cry, and she doesn't get in trouble at all. I mean, if, if it's Jesus' fault that, 
that a sick man died, then it must have been Jesus' fault. I got a C minus in French class, right? Where's my miracle, Jesus? But, uh, and then we have our third one, which is today's story. Uh, Mary takes $30,000 of perfume and wipes it all over Jesus' feet and lets the rest flow down the drain onto the floor. And of course, the disciples are mad, but Jesus again defends Mary. It, it is like Mary cannot lose. It feels like Mary can get away with anything. And I'm, you know, joking around, but I'm also not. It, this story, today's story, doesn't make a lot of sense based on pretty much everything else we know about Jesus. Jesus and his friends, his disciples, are part of an oppressed people living under military rule. Like, his community is, is full of folks who are poor and hungry and just scraping by. And, and Jesus stands with them. Jesus declares that God's favor is with the poor, that he has come to liberate the oppressed. I mean, Jesus even tells a, a rich young man that in order to follow Jesus, he'll have to sell his possessions and give the money to the poor. So when Mary dumps $30,000 of perfume at his feet and Jesus is just cool with it, like something is going on. Judas is, is actually, I think Judas is right to ask, why didn't we sell the perfume and give the money to the poor like you've been telling us to do for the last three years? In John's gospel, because this, this same story comes up with some, some differences, with some variations, but this same basic story is in a number of gospels. And, and John answers the question by explaining, you know, Judas only asked this question because he was a crook. But in the gospels of Mark and Matthew, it's actually, it's all the disciples who are mad at Mary for wasting money that could have gone to the poor. So, so it's a good question, irrespective of Judas' intent. But, but Jesus doesn't really treat it like a good question. In, instead, he turns to Judas and says, leave her alone. Jesus seems frustrated that they would even question what Mary is doing. And that, that sort of fits, that it's on brand that Jesus would defend a maligned woman. But he doesn't just leave it at that. He just doesn't say, leave her alone. He adds, you'll always have the poor, but you won't always have me. That, that extra line makes it a lot more baffling because Jesus seems kind of indifferent to the poor who he's come to save. But, I mean, amongst other things, we should remember that when Jesus refers to the poor— He's not referring to those people. Gen Jesus identifies with those on the mar margins. He sees himself as one of them. He, he elsewhere tells a crowd, what you do to the least of these, you do unto me. You know, when you refuse to feed a hungry person, you're refusing to feed me because I am one of them. And, and Jesus has that. I think Jesus has the authority to identify with the poor and marginalized. I mean, 
because although he, he does have divine power, you know, he doesn't have a home. He doesn't necessarily know where his next meal is coming from. And maybe more importantly, when this story takes place, Jesus is a wanted man. There is a warrant out for his arrest. He's been hiding out in the wilderness. Jesus knows he's about to be killed. Jesus knows that, that this gift of excessive love for Mary must be given now. And, and I wonder if that's actually part of the reason that he makes that comment about the poor always being with them, as if he's saying to Judas, if you really care about hungry people, good news, you'll get to feed them tomorrow. They'll still be here, but I will not. And Mary seems to be the only person who realizes it. Because after all, I mean, this was not just any old evening. Jesus had been hiding out in the desert. He comes out of hiding to spend the Passover holiday with ones he loves, with Martha and Mary and Lazarus. He travels to their house in Bethany, which is only two miles away from Jerusalem, where those in power are plotting his death. But on this night, it seems that they're celebrating. It, I mean, John doesn't say this, but this almost has the, what's coming right after this is, the, is like the triumphant entry, Palm Sunday. He's about to head to Jerusalem, and this kind of has the feel of a going away party. I mean, all his friends and loved ones are gathered around. They give him food and drink to try to maybe help him forget the growing threat on his life. The, the wine is flowing and I imagine the disciples don't even notice Mary slip away into the garden until they, they smell the pungent fragrance of costly perfume. That They look up and see that, that Mary has broken a priceless jar of nard, and now Mary is, is frankly scandalizing everyone by taking down her hair in public and washing Jesus' feet with it. It's just this, it's excessive and, and scandalous act that, that actually, I think Mary has, like, the authority to perform. In the same way that Jesus has the, I, the authority to identify with those on the margins, Mary, Mary has the authority to give this gift because she knows the frailty of life. Her brother Lazarus just died. In fact, she may have bought this perfume to anoint his body. But Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And now Jesus is here, alive, for now. So she won't save this perfume. She won't wait until he's killed. She won't leave her love unexpressed. She will pour it out on his body. Because Mary knows his body matters. Jesus isn't simply a wise teacher. He isn't only the, the long-awaited Messiah. He's a, he's a man with a body that's about to be broken and beaten. So Mary covers his feet with, with a gift of 
opulent love, an excessive amount of valuable perfume. And it's, it's not just the, the cost that's excessive, but, but the smell. Like, how much perfume do you have to put on for everyone around you to notice? Like, if I, how many, like, if, if I put just, like, 10 sprays of, of cologne or perfume on, would that be enough for you to not want to sit next to me? Well, Mary poured out the equivalent of 4,000 sprays of perfume. And that scent must have just filled the house. Jesus must have reeked of it, not just that night, but for days. I mean, is it, is it possible that, that the fragrance lingered for the next seven days of his life? Those, those final, awful, dehumanizing days? Did, did the scent of the perfume stay with him, reminding him each day that he was loved? I, I don't know. But I, I know that everyone in that moment must have been overwhelmed like overwhelmed by the scent, overwhelmed by the, the scandal, by the waste of money. I, I imagine that, that jar of perfume lying broken on the floor as this, this as a symbol for Jesus' own body. Because, you know, that jar could have sat on the shelf and been admired. It, it could have been, been tucked away where it was safe. But the jar, jar was broken, and the contents poured out for the sake of a loved one. It, it, was, it was an extravagant act, and it was messy. In, in revealing her love, Mary brought shame to herself. She, she used perfume that, that could have been used to, to feed a family for a year. Her love was costly. Just like it, just like the sign that, that what lies ahead will be costly. It, it, it won't be orderly. It won't be logical. It will be excessive. The pain will be excessive, and the love will be excessive. And, and, and that's where the, the scene ends, with the only detail that, that many people heard that Jesus was in Bethany, and as a result, authorities made plans to kill Lazarus as well. Because Lazarus harbored a criminal. So now he too must die. And, and what of Mary? I mean, she wiped the perfume off Jesus' feet with her hair. It, if Jesus smelled of the perfume, certainly Mary did too. Her, her gift of love marked her connection to a wanted man. And, and there is, in that ending, there's, there's sort of a certain sadness to this story. But, but it, to me, I think it feels more like, like beauty breaking through sadness. Because at this point in John's gospel, every story is making it increasingly clear that Jesus is about to be arrested and killed. It's like, it's heating up, it's ramping up. Jesus is headed to Jerusalem. But, but that larger story is interrupted by Mary's just act of excessive love. Mary isn't denying the reality of what's happening around her. 
She's interrupting it. She isn't pretending that the poor don't exist. She isn't pretending that things are going to be all right. Mary, Mary knows the grim reality that surrounds her. So she interrupts that story with a story of her own, a story of love poured out. And, and for us, it's maybe kind of hard to know what to do with that story. But, but here's what, I guess, what sticks with me as I, I sit with it. Like, like for us, there's, there's a lot going on right now. I don't know about y'all, but I just feel this level of societal stress with, you know, all the new legislation attacking the queer community and attempt to drum up support for the midterm election with, like, the, the inflation of our basic cost of living and the rise in income equality with the, the housing crisis and increased crime, all of this stuff just it clamors for our attention. And, and our faith commitments demand that, that we join in the work of Jesus to, to stand alongside the poor and oppressed, to, to work for justice and liberation. That, that call is clear. It, it can even be all-consuming. So perhaps we need Mary's wild, extravagant love to help us see the beauty that's right in front of us. We, we need to be reminded that the struggle will always be there. And, and sometimes the best thing that we can do is interrupt it with an act of love that doesn't need to make sense. Because without these kind of beautiful, irrational, extravagant acts of love, it's easy to grow weary and small and mean. We, we need this kind of extravagance. It, it what's, it's what keeps us human. It's what makes it possible for us to, to really love one another. It, it actually, it reminds me a little bit of that quote, I forget who said it, uh, that, that like, if your revolution doesn't include dancing, I don't want to be a part of it. Because we need beauty alongside the pain. We need irreverence alongside our devotion. We need joy amidst the struggle. So maybe that's where this story leaves us, with permission, or maybe it leaves us with the necessity to return to what is right in front of us, the daily opportunities to give and receive love. Amen.